It's Monday the 18th of September. This is the Climate Alarm Clock. This week's headlines, at least 11,000 dead after floods in Libya. Are we headed for above 1.5 degree temperature rise this year? And on board Planala refuses planning permission for Shannon LNG. Hello and welcome to the Climate Alarm Clock, your Irish climate news podcast. I'm Dara Wynne and I am delighted to be joined by Anna Pringle and Kira Daly for the first episode of the fifth season of the podcast. Uh, <laughs> Anna and Kira, how are you doing? Welcome to season five. Five years old. Happy birthday, us. Except we're not five years because a season does not... Anna, don't be such a killjoy. It does not <laughs> exist with a year. So just to confuse everybody. Um, it's nice to be semantics. <laughs> I know. It's, so, somebody said yesterday, what is it, like spatial temporality or something? You know, we're messing with the concept of time here. Mm. We're coming up to our second birthday. I was just looking there, actually. It's in uh, a couple of weeks that uh, mm-hmm, it'll be yeah, two years right. since our very first episode came out. So... I suppose to say... But, but if we, season five. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, there's four seasons in a year, you know, so we're a bit behind Good point. nature. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I suppose to say for any potential new listeners or anyone who might have listened to any of our special episodes over the summer, we are a climate news podcast, so the three of us get together um, and talk about the latest climate news. So in previous seasons, it's been a weekly podcast, but I think we're going to be moving to fortnightly um going forward this season just because of uh time commitments for all of us but really really glad to be back with this new season yeah me too i'd love to say we're going to fortnightly because there isn't enough news to cover weekly but unfortunately that is not the case (laughs) we need time to digest our feelings we do Uh, before we dive into the news, I suppose just to let you know if you like the work we do, you can support us on buymeacoffee.com forward slash the climate alarm. Yeah, so we've got some, as always, some great comments over the summer, which is really nice to see, um, as well as the buying us a coffee, of course. Um, Kevin thanked us for our special episodes over the summer. He said it was a virtual supportive huddle for him during the stressful time. Um Michael appreciates all the work that we do. Grattan said he really, oh, I say he could be he or she, really enjoy, really enjoying the podcast, especially recent episodes with Owen Gallivan and John Gibbons. And great, really enjoyed the extra hot, hot, hot episode. Um, described it as an island of sanity in the middle of the mayhem of the hottest summer on record. I like that idea of being an island of yeah. sanity. He says, keep <laughs> up the great true, work. It's not true, but I like it. <laughs> yeah, I know. If only he could see us, he wouldn't say that. Um, and then Gillian. Um, was listened to your the recent interview you guys did with Kenneth from Green Earth Organics and said she was listening to it as her box of goodies arrived from Green Earth oh, Organics. So loved the interview. And then someone else bought us five coffees without leaving a comment. But I, I always love reading the comments because at least it shows that something we're doing means something to somebody. So um, I always appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. Um, and then I suppose the other little bit of housekeeping or, or climate podcast news is that we've been uh, nominated for uh, an Irish podcast award in the climate. Not nominated, category. shortlisted, honey. The judges selected us. <laughs> Difference. <laughs> there we go. Um, okay. And with that, let's dive into our first climate story. And this one 
Yeah, I think we're all still struggling to get our head around it. It's the sort of aftermath of Storm Daniel that has been wreaking havoc in the Mediterranean. So um, around the 4th of September or like a couple of weeks ago at the stage now, Storm Daniel hit Greece. Um, some areas recorded 750 millimetres of rain, three quarters of a metre of rain in 24 hours. That's more than Dublin's annual rainfall in one day. Um, I mean, just for context on that, we had status orange warnings in Ireland for Cork last week because they were expecting somewhere between 70 and 90 millimetres of rain. So 10 times an orange. 10 times that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and the the Thessaly region that was hit accounts for twenty five percent of Greece's agricultural production, um, and so there's real uncertainty as to what the long term impacts are. But a disaster management expert reckons that it could take at least five years for some of the flooded areas to become fertile again. And then even though wheat and barley had been harvested, large quantities that were stored in warehouses have been destroyed um so that was nearly two weeks ago at the stage and then just last week storm daniel moved over to libya and eight hundred eighty-four thousand people have been affected by floods there and the sort of most severe damage was in the city of derna where two dams burst upstream of the city and a torrent of water uh, flowed through the city, destroying a quarter of it, and 12,000 people have been uh, confirmed dead, and there are still uh, people missing. Um, So, yeah, it's just, yeah, I think really, really hard to get your head around that sort of level of, of destruction and death and devastation. It's heartbreaking. Yeah, um, I can't get that city out of my head. Um, 25% of the city destroyed, like just destroyed. And you look at the pictures, it's, and you had the Morocco earthquake a few days before it, and the pictures from Libya are the equivalent of an earthquake in terms of the damage that was done. And you'd think a bomb had hit the city. Um, just the sheer devastation is just unreal. And people, you know, just imagine people are there in their beds at night and they're just washed away. Yeah, yeah. Just uh, like buildings, apartment blocks just absolutely washed away. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. just unbelievable. Just, you know, literally a city just being turned upside down um, over the course of a few hours. Um, and yeah, yeah. It's I, I think the actual... You know, events that happened are so hard to wrap your wrap your head around. And then I think what's, yeah, what's equally as devastating to think about is just the sort of long-term effects. You know, aid agencies have really been struggling to get in there. I think only two out of the seven access routes into the city were accessible. Um, and, um, yeah, thousands of people don't have anywhere to sleep, don't have food. There's concerns now about clean water and the potential of diseases being spread so you know obviously the floods and the immediate impacts makes the headlines but in terms of the long-term impacts that are going to be inflicted on this community as a result of that one storm like it's 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 unquantifiable um yeah yeah 
And yeah, it's unquantifiable. And then it, it, even the short-term impact, they, they still have no idea what the numbers are going to be in terms of deaths. Yeah. Just just from the floods, never mind from the aftermath of the flood, because they've got, it's a seaside town and there's like bodies being washed back in in the tide now. And it's horrific. I mean, the stories of people walking around the shore trying to find their loved ones. And, and then people are starting to talk about the smell now. Yeah. I know, it's it's just horrific. And if you think about it, it's a city of about 100,000 people. So I don't know what the population of, say, Galway is. Way less than that, probably. So, you know, maybe it's a bit, it's a bit smaller than Cork, a bit bigger than Galway. But imagine 25% of the city just being obliterated. Yeah, I was actually thinking about this earlier. And, you know, about a third of the population being wiped out. Yeah. Imagine. Yeah. Yeah, no, it is. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. And I suppose... You know, we talk about the concept of of climate justice and the inequality of climate change. And I think this story really, really brings it home um, because, you know, there are people calling and crying out for an investigation about how this was allowed to happen with the dams being burst and, and the dams hadn't had any significant maintenance work since 2002. So there is that aspect of it. But what you really see with climate change is that the people who have done the least to cause it um, the people who are the most vulnerable in the world are just when when extreme weather events happen or when you know long-term weather patterns change, it is the vulnerable communities who are affected the most. And Libya has obviously just in recent history had the most um, you know, such a such a traumatic time, so many issues that that um the city of Derna had actually been controlled by the Islamic State at one point in the last uh, 15 years. They had overcome that. Um, there's, you know, Libya doesn't really have a government in place at the moment. There are two sort of conflicting groups claiming, uh, claiming you know, governance over different parts of the country. And then it's also at the centre of... Um, of so much of the Mediterranean migration crisis where there are people from uh, the whole Sahel region that end up in Libya and there's all that going on. And then when an event like this happens on top of it, it is just absolutely devastating. And I think, um, you know, you talk about those, you talk about the concept of, of climate justice, but actually seeing that, seeing that kind of, yeah, take place in real time. It, it, yeah, I, yeah, it's really, it's, yeah, it's, it's yeah, such a tragedy, such a tragedy. I mean, one of the things the UN talks about is the need for early warning systems around the world, you know, to warn people about the weather. And I saw some comments from the World Meteorological Organization this week saying that Libya didn't have, a, basically doesn't have a weather system. I mean, not, doesn't have the equivalent of a meteorologist, say, that could issue warnings because of the state of the country. They didn't have a meteorological organization that could issue warnings or any means of doing it to the population that could say, evacuate, you know. Yeah, but not even that. It's it's, like, you know, it's, it's, it's things like, it's, it's things like lack of, of infrastructure. You know, there are so many oh yeah, things. Everything, like yeah. there are so many, yeah, there are so many sort of but Basics I mean, we joke and, about, yeah. we joke and we complain about Met Aaron having, you know, red warnings, and orange warnings and whatever, but at least we're getting the warnings. I mean, yeah. you know, we, it's, it's at least that's, you know, it's a system that's in place to make sure that we have warnings, you know, so, which they didn't even have that, at, you know, at a very basic level, they didn't have that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
yeah, and I suppose yeah, I suppose it is. It's it's sort of the aftermath and and what happens from here on out. Um, yeah, is yeah, we'll try to keep try to keep an eye on, um, and try to keep a spotlight on. Well, but also one of the other things in the coverage of Libya that is being sort of glossed over a bit, I think, um, you know, there's a lot about, oh, Libya is corrupt, warring factions, blah, blah. But, I mean, it makes it sound like, you know, the Libyans are the problem. And we have to also remember that one of the reasons it is in that state is because NATO went in and took out the regime about 10 years ago, about 2011, I think, and encouraged the civil war and bombed the fuck out of Libya, you know, since we're swearing this week. Um, so, and that's why it has a, lo- a big part of the reason that it's in the state it's in. And also, as Dara said earlier, the migrant crisis in Europe is, has been basically exported to Libya too. We're very happy to... Yeah, so to- when, when you say that, what do you mean? Which part? The migrant crisis is being exported to Libya. So instead of allowing people to try to enter Europe, they are allowing them to be housed in camps in Libya. Libyan organizations are being paid to bring people back to Libya, to take them off the Mediterranean and bring them back. There's camps there. There's there's like modern slavery going on. There's trafficking, all sorts of stuff. And it's being tolerated by Europe rather than having waves of people coming into Europe. So so I don't, I I think tolerated isn't even the word because it's being endorsed and financed by Europe. You know, that's the thing. It's not like, it's not like, it's not like Europe are this sort of benign or neutral. No, yeah, you're like right. Like Europe Absolutely. is actively is actively putting is actively putting money into it. Um so I suppose it you know suits it, us. Yeah. yeah. So I suppose in terms of this uh Sally Hayden has written an amazing book called My Fourth Time We Drowned about that whole crisis and sort of uh given a voice to some of the people who have experienced this. I've started reading it. It's a tough read and I haven't um managed to get through it yet, but Sally Hayden did have an article in the Irish Times about the flood and I think maybe um you know, she sums everything up well. I think uh, there was a Libya ex- expert who she was talking to as part of this interview called Aya Barwila, and they said about this whole crisis, they said this is a huge wake-up call about the consequences of having corrupt governments, unaccountable governments. People are very, very angry. This is a tragedy of unprecedented proportions. This is a natural disaster, but also a man-made disaster. My bottom line is that corruption kills. Yeah, um, and I think yeah, that sums it up. Uh, uh, and actually, well. one thing's that's that's very well put. One thing's we actually I don't know if we've mentioned it is that you people could be listening to this going, what's this got to do with climate change? The reason we are seeing these types of storms in the Mediterranean is because of global heating and the heating of the water and all of that. So that's these these types of storms have intensified because yeah. of climate change and yeah. will continue to intensify. Yeah, I think that's what I'm really struggling to get my head around. <laughs> Hoping to get through this without pressing into tears. <laughs> is the idea that, you know, this is not like this is horrific. Horrific. And what's even worse is it's not even going to be the last. No. Yeah, yeah. So I, th- I think like that is the thing. You know, there is the physical aspect of climate change, um, and we are going to see, you know, intensification of extreme weather. So we're going to see more extreme storms, more extreme heat waves, more extreme rainfall events. But it is so tied to 
every other single um, social justice and human rights issue around the world and so linked to, as that quote said, governance and corruption. Um, and yeah, this this event was really just the worst of everything coming together. Um, and I think what you said, Kira, about how we're going to see more of it kind of uh, leads us into our next story, um, which is in the last couple of weeks, the most comprehensive study ever conducted on planetary boundaries found that we have exceeded six of the nine physical planetary boundaries that we need to stay within to be in a safe space for humanity. Um, and we are close to breaching uh, further two. So um, eight of the nine planetary boundaries um, we uh, have either breached or are close to breaching. Um, yeah. So what would you, like a planetary boundary, what exactly does that mean? So they have things like climate change. So, you know, how much the world has warmed and they've said we are gone beyond a safe level of warming. Biosphere okay. integrity. So, you know, how intact natural ecosystems and things like that are, are and all the sort of different natural functioning that we need, how intact that is. We've exceeded that. Um Land system change, we, too much of the land system has changed. Fresh water quality um, or fresh water change is, uh, we've breached that. Uh, Biogeochemical flows, so that's talking about the nitrogen and the phosphorus um, cycles. We have, we've basically messed up those kind of natural cycles with the use of, um, because of intensive agriculture primarily. Ocean acidification, um, so the ocean getting too acidified. We haven't actually um, breached that one yet, but we're very close very to it. Very close. Um, yeah. uh, atmospheric aerosol load, loading, so that's aerosols in the atmosphere. We're close to breaching that one. And sorry, I've left one that we have exceeded as well, which I think is called novel entities, which is things like nuclear waste, microplastics, all those other sorts of pollutants that we have um, exceeded that as well. So so in theory, yeah, there's a, yeah, so there's a level that all those things should be at for us to be within a safe space. And we have burst through um, quite a lot of them. I'm going to ask us maybe a stupid question. Atmospheric aerosol loading. What does that mean? Like too many deodorant being sprayed? Too much deodorant? Hydrofluorocarbons. Um, so atmospheric aerosol loading is just different types of aerosols and chemicals basically in the Oh, atmosphere. literally is that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they can have different effects. So we saw was it with sulfur dioxide when shipping sulfur dioxide in the atmosphere actually was working as a coolant um, for a while and then shipping regulations changed and there was less uh, sulfur being emitted from shipping emissions and some people said a few months ago that that was part of the reason why um, why the world had warmed so much this year um, and yeah so it's just yeah it's just different aerosols that have different effects in the in the atmosphere basically yeah okay so, not good news. No, no, not good news. And I think, you know, this study shows that climate change is part of a wider problem, you know, that we have a totally broken relationship with the natural world and um, the, yeah, the very systems that we need to um, 
to be on a stable planet that is hospitable to humans. We are uh, bursting through a lot of them. And then linked to that was um, was a study from Berkeley Earth um, that is yeah. sort of hypothesizing whether or not we are going to exceed 1.5 degrees above pre-industrial levels this year. Um, so to say just if if we did go above 1.5 this year, that doesn't mean that the climate is above 1.5 um, in general because climate uh, statistics will be borne out over a longer period. But July and August, so... There have but been, it does mean that it would be above 1.5 average for the year. For though. the year, yeah, absolutely. Yep. So there have been 12, so, and, yeah. And it's when it's over, what, five years or something that... I think it's 30. Is it 30? Yeah, okay. I think it's 30. But basically there have been 12 times in the past where an individual month has gone over 1.5 and July and August were above 1.5 for the first time ever this year. At the start of the year, experts estimated that there was less than a 1% chance that we'd exceed 1.5 this degrees this year. Then last month, they said there was a 20% chance and now... Um, after July and August, they think that there is a 55% chance that 2023 will um, have an average average temperature of 1.5 degrees above above the 1850 to 1900 levels. So, so yeah, yeah, that's not to say that the climate has gone above 1.5, but obviously the more that happens and the closer you get to the target, then the closer we are to breaching that uh, 1.5 degree target. Who are Berkeley Earth? They're, what is it? It's the University of Berkeley in California, which is a very reputable uh, well, of course, they'd have to be reputable given yeah, us this news. Yeah, okay. they're one of the good ones. So <laughs> it's they're based there. It's a group that's based there. Um, we need to get a few quacks on here with a bit of good news for us. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Well, we do have we do have some we do have some good news. Um, you got to say some quacks <laughs> in our next in our next story. Um, so, well, I don't know if you're calling Anna a quack, but I'm going to hand over to Anna anyways to <laughs> to, to deliver the good news. So, Anna, quack, take quack. it away. Um, yeah, sorry, I was just struck dumb by all that bad news before. Um, so, some good news um, from Ireland here in Ireland for a change. Um, Although we are so off track with everything, the onboard Planala last week refused planning permission for the construction of a liquefied natural gas, fondly known as LNG, terminal on the Shannon Estuary near Ballylongford, County Kerry. So they, in a majority decision, they turned it down and said that it would have been going against government policy on the importation of fracked gas and it would be inappropriate to permit it or proceed with it um, because there's a security a review of energy supply ongoing and it wouldn't be consistent with that. So this was very good news um, and there were many activist groups around the country whooping with joy when they heard this news um, because it has been a long fought and hard fought battle to get it to this point um, where it has been turned down. 
But I heard you all celebrating this. And so I was like, oh, this is good news. But I actually don't really know what LNG is. I mean, I know what it stands for. But like, what are the risks? Like, why is this a good news story? What are the risks or the impacts that can come from Yeah, it? LNG, I mean, so it's liquefied natural gas. And what happens is it's extracted where there is gas. Oftentimes it's from fracking fields in the US and places like that. Um, it's extracted it's condensed um, and turned into liquid. Then it's transported by ship and kind of re—I um, don't know what the right—I the, don't know what the technical term is—but it's turned back into gas when it's reconstituted. So, yeah, I don't that's know a why good I'm word. Could that. be, could oh, be. Um, so it would, you know, it would arrive basically at a terminal like in Shannon and be reconstituted as gas and become part of Ireland's gas supply. It's an issue for a lot of different reasons. Um, one reason is that it's actually the emissions from LNG are much higher than from just using regular natural gas, even though they're high enough. So from like burning it or whatever. You yeah, no, it's because of the, there's a lot of methane escapes during the process. So the process of liquefying it and unliquefying it um, in itself causes emissions. So that's yeah. one issue with it. Another issue with it is that, especially if it's coming from the US, it's coming from fracked gas. So so fracking is a process that is used to access gas that would have been from shale rock that would have been very hard to access in the past. So what they're basically doing is going in and, and basically drilling into the shale rock to get the shale gas out. It's an incredibly environmentally damaging process. It also has higher emissions than uh, other gas fields have. It's destroying communities in places like Pennsylvania, where it's very um, common, where they're, they're sitting on a shale gas field there. So it's highly, highly polluting and environmentally damaging. So one of the reasons that um, on board Planala turned down the application was because Ireland has a policy of not using any fracked gas which again is due to activism and campaigning over a long period of time. And you couldn't guarantee that it wouldn't be fracked gas that would be brought in. Okay. Yeah, so I think it is, it's great news and it is, yeah, such a testament to a lot of work that has gone in from a lot of activists over a long period of time. Um, So it is a a great victory. and Oshin Coughlin from Friends of the Earth said that it flows directly from the policy statement that government adopted in 2021. Um, and those flow directly from the program for government. So credit where credit's due. So kind of saying, you know, that the, the Green Party uh, deserves some credit for that as well. Um, yeah. Does everyone agree? Absolutely not. <laughs> Everyone doesn't <laughs> well, agree. Yeah, um, like there have you, been some listen, interesting yeah. interesting quotes. The mayor of Kerry has called the decision incomprehensible. Um, I think he's asked Eamon Ryan to step down. Michael Healy Ray isn't happy either. The one that caught my eye was uh, the Finnefall MEP, Billy Kelleher, who's an MEP for Munster or the South, or I'm not sure what the European constituency is called. He said the decision is disappointing and short-sighted. <laughs> I just find calling it short-sighted um, is just so ironic 
Um, yeah. Because... He obviously hasn't seen the planetary boundaries story, no? <laughs> he obviously no. hasn't, Kira. He's, he's exactly. Missed the, he's missed the memo uh, that you know, no Billy Catherine, you need to tune in to the climate alarm, alarm clock, man. Get groovy. <laughs> um, but yeah, he obviously, you know, calling calling it short-sighted, it, yeah, there is such an irony to that. That one really, really stood out to me in terms of the reaction. Um, because it's not, it's the opposite of, of short-sighted, you know, long term we cannot be using fossil fuels so we definitely should be not should not be building new fossil fuel infrastructure so um yeah, yeah so it is a I mean, one of the arguments long term decision yeah one of the arguments for it is that we needed for our security of energy supply you know because we get all of our gas from interconnectors from the UK so therefore this gives us more security but it doesn't and it's really short-sighted to actually think that it does and actually Eamon Ryan last week has just signed a new agreement with the UK strengthening the agreements that we have there um, for importing gas from from the UK while we still need gas. And and the LNG does not give you any more security. I mean, we've seen examples of ships carrying LNG diverting when there's a higher price being offered from one country to another and so on. And and the, the infrastructure required, I mean, if you build new fossil fuel infrastructure, it is going to be used. So let's not build it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah. It's a very... It's a very niche view. <laughs> it is. It's a very, you know, lefty, crusty, uh, loony view. I know. Um, um, I think, yeah, I, I think the thing for me, you know, it's amazing. It's such an amazing achievement for activists here. Yeah. Um, yeah. But when I take a step back, you know, there are so many people particularly kind of involved, you know, particularly politicians and I guess, you know, fossil fuel companies and whatever, who are doing such a terrible job <laughs> that this needs to be pushed so hard and so long by activists to prevent this from happening. Because yep. this decision by Amborplanola is not going to bring emissions down. <laughs> yeah. It's just going to prevent emissions from going further up. You know, yep. people are having to work so hard for us to just stand still and that is just such a poor reflection on on how politicians are dealing with the issue of climate change. Um, and it was a years-long fight. Yeah, yeah. But absolutely. I mean, we talk a lot on And the I don't think it's here. over either, you know, that's oh, the other no, thing. Oh, no, it's not. Yeah. I'm sure it's not, especially based on Leo Varadkar's comments where he said, hmm, I'm going to have to look at this and understand more about it. Um, yeah, once again, uh, you know, I think he just doesn't understand climate change very, it, very... Dara. No, he, do, he doesn't <laughs> look... His statement is so non-committal. He said, I'd like to read the decision and understand why that's been made. It will come as a disappointment to a lot of people in North Kerry because they were looking forward to that investment happening. And will he be asked about this again after he's read the statement, after he's read the decision? Probably not. I think, I genuinely think he just, yeah. But he also said there's a case. Sorry, no, Dara, again, sorry. He also said there is a case for having gas storage. He also met with the company that was in planning to invest there for new fortress energy he met with them when i'm not sure if he was Tishak or Tanisha at the time didn't declare the meeting didn't talk about what he met with them but he met with the executives he knows exactly what's going on and 
you know, what the, look at the words of what he's saying. You know, it's disappointment to people in North Kerry. It's about investment. It's about jobs. You know, that's what they are going to position this as. And again, I say, we've got elections coming up. So, of course, he's going to say that. He was meeting with those people and encouraging that investment all along. It's not that he doesn't know. I don't think those two things are mutually exclusive, just to say. Don't <laughs> you know, like, but it's all, to me, it all, there's never any, there's never any depth into anything he says about climate change. That's my point. No, there's um, not. There and, no and, it's always, things, and it's always, yeah. and it's always non-committal, you know. Uh, I'd like always, to read the no, decision always, and understand why that's been made and then he'll never be asked about that again. You know what I mean? Or it's, he'll never no, read the decision. Yeah, yeah. There's, no, there's, yeah. No, there's no accountability there. From, like, yeah, it's, it's to, always framed in terms of short-term economics yeah yeah and, um, and short-term investments yeah, which is uh, yeah i would just love to hear him being you know really asked and held to account on this um yeah is i guess the point that i'm getting to um but yeah no all in all that's it's a brilliant brilliant news story and well done to all the activists great news who have been and, involved yeah um, and like what you know, one of the things we talk about a lot here is encouraging people to take action and get involved yeah. in things. And this is a great example of of action that has had an impact. And there are lots of other opportunities, unfortunately, around the place as well to, to continue to get involved in some of those, trying yeah. to stop some things like that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so they're kind of our main stories that we're covering for this week. But we have a couple of sort of little stories. Um, to cover and one of them I feel like this is our celebrity news uh, gossip column because we're going to be talking possibly for the last time about Bernard about Bernard <laughs> Looney our Bernie it's bye bye Bernie <laughs> bye bye Bernie Bernie bye bye <laughs> <laughs> I, I never enjoy talking about Bernard Looney, so I'm not taking the lead on this story. So, will one of you jump in? Uh, well, our Bernie, who has been our, you know, oil and gas executive of choice for quite some time now, um, had to announce, suddenly announce his um, resignation as BP's chief executive officer because of so far unnamed um, transgressions with colleagues over the years. Um, so the board is investigating his uh, relationships with colleagues and he has had to resign. I mean, the thing is, like, and there's all this like um, oh, sanctimonious stuff from the BP board about the culture of the company and the morals and integrity. And I was like, Sorry, you're an oil company. You don't have any Well, we don't know it all, but I would imagine there's a bit more to it than he just had an affair or he had, I had a number of affairs, or whatever it is. You know, he's, I think he sounds like he's a bit of a ladies' man, but Anyway, the point being, though, that, you know, I have a suspicion if I was a conspiracy theorist, which I'm not, I would say that the fact that BP's share price has tanked compared to other oil companies and the fact that shareholders aren't very happy about uh, Bernie's green transformation strategy might, might just have factored into the pressure on him from the board. So one of their big shareholders um, was quoted by the Financial Times saying that they wonder what now whether BP will remain as committed to its transformation without Looney at the helm. And um, let's see how their capital is allocated to the energy transition. Isn't that just so unbelievable like that? Uh, apparent, you know, that, oh, he's he's too green. He's too green. He's not 
in favor of enough oil and gas extraction. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Unbelievable. So yeah, but that's just a theory. I don't, I, yeah, I no, think that be would fair, be, I think that would be, in all honesty, I think that would be like a reassuring. I don't, I don't think it's going to be that. I think it's going to be just something like a bit more. Could be voted yeah, on behalf of women. Could, yeah, 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 I know. Thanks, I get Kira that. For, but, yeah. but I, I mean, maybe he's going to go off and become, you know, a green activist now. <laughs> Dara's shaking his head in disgust. Well, I was listening to an expert in the oil industry just talking about how he'll probably just get recruited if he can figure himself out by another oil company. I know. It's disgusting. But anyway, who are we going to pick on now? We'll see how it unfolds. I'm sure we'll find somebody else. There's a worse one. Isn't that the worst part of it? There's worse than Bernard Looney out there. Yep. <laughs> And then another good news story to finish. Um, this is about young people taking 32 European countries to court over climate policies. Um, Anna, do you want to tell us a bit more? Yeah, um, this is great. So six young people from around, well, actually they're from, Port- from Portugal. They're aged between 11 and 24. And they will be appearing at the European Court of Human Rights. And they're looking to compel 32 countries um, to basically get the finger out and escalate their emissions reductions and do what they've said they're going to do to fight climate change. Um, so it's a it's a great case, and you know the people are arguing, the young people are arguing that um, it's a breach of their human rights and of the Human Rights Declaration that they're not tackling climate change. So, and that will be happening in the next week or so in the European Court of Human Rights, um, which is fantastic to hear and they are making the point that their health and well-being and human rights that their governments are failing to protect them as young people um so it'll be interesting to see how the court hears that now of course the governments are not taking this lying down 32 european countries are we in there we are in there yes we are and the governments have so the governments in question have responded and are going up against them. And so the Irish government, for example, has rejected their argument, saying that they haven't established an imminent or immediate risk to their lives. This is Portuguese people who've been living right beside wildfires and stuff um, and in extreme heat. And the Greek government, this is the one I think that just blows my mind, the Greek government, which has been in the centre of climate change risk this summer, as we've been talking about with fires and with floods, they are saying, nah, the effects of climate change as recorded so far don't seem to directly affect human life or human health. Now, imagine using that as an argument. Mm, yeah, no, it's, uh, yeah, um, unbelievable sort of the things the governments are saying, but well done to these young people. Um, Caroline Hickman said that, you know, climate change is just actually a small part of climate anxiety, that a large part of climate anxiety among young people in particular, is looking at governments, looking at institutions who should be looking after you and should have your best interests yep. in heart, at heart and having the realisation that they are not only not looking out for you, but actually actively damaging your life and your future um, with their actions. Um, and I think, you know, this this case is really, really getting to the heart of that. So, um, yeah. It's all about trying to hold the governments accountable for what they're supposed to be doing. And it's, I, it'll be very interesting to see where that case goes. Yeah, for sure. 
And, and we've talked here before about the power of lawsuits, you know, if used properly. And we've the Friends of the Irish Environment are taking our own government to court again as well around um, the carbon budgets and climate action plans. So it'll be interesting to see where that goes. And, and it's a way of using the system to try and make the system better. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. I don't think I was that. Uh, well, I don't think I know. I was definitely not that. Uh, Intelligent <laughs> or uh, brave when I was 15. I think I was down with you drinking. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, that's that's it for all our news. Uh, before we go, some actions that people can take. So in our special episode at the end of July, after the extreme weather, we said we were going to have just a Zoom get-together for people to have a chat um, and talk about their own responses to climate change. So that will be in the format of a climate cafe, an online climate cafe, taking place on uh, Tuesday the 26th of September at 7.30. So you can register for that on Eventbrite and we'll put a link to that Eventbrite in the show notes. So hopefully see some of our listeners there and really looking forward to that. Um someone else want to jump in there about Emma? Yeah, there is a lovely um, festival taking place next week. It's in Dublin only, is it? Yeah. Earth Rising, a four-day festival, loads of free events and experiences aimed at addressing the climate crisis and inspiring collective action, which I hope people will be interested in getting involved with after listening to the stories this week. There's also, I want to give a special shout out to the, there's a talk on two o'clock at two o'clock by Lisa Fingleton, where she is putting a big call out for people to come and engage with. Um, she's going to be doing a talk with farmers and she really wants to have a brilliant, uh, vibrant, full packed room. So if anyone's around, go. That's Do on, you remember where it was that's on? That's on the Saturday. So the whole event it's is taking place in IMA in the Irish Museum yeah. of Modern Art. Um, so I think that talk is on the Saturday, but it runs from Thursday to Sunday. It was a lovely event last year. It's kind of an arts and... Um, eco festival uh, so some really cool stuff there yeah and um, just to add a shout out for a new book that's come out um, by Patrick Bresnahan and Naomi Milner and it's called All We Want Is The Earth Land, Labour and Movements Beyond Environmentalism and that's also being launched on the 26th um, in Dublin in Connolly Books if anybody wants to go along to the book launch there I think everybody's welcome right but it looks like a really interesting book. I want to give a shout out as well to our other friend of the pod, uh, Cara Kearney. Took our own very fabulous Dara on as a guest and tapped into his inner story of how he became involved in climate activism. And I've known Dara since I was 15 and I, I didn't know. I learned stuff about that boy in that interview. So check it out. It's really nice. Very, very, very nice chat between yourself and Cara. Nice hearing you take off the the climate news presenter has to just be Dara, you know? <laughs> Who is that guy? <laughs> be more Dara, Dara. That's <laughs> great to be back, guys. Thanks. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it was lovely, really lovely to chat to Cara and uh, the Book of Leaves podcast has also been shortlisted um, in the climate category Woo! and Cara won that category last year with an amazing, amazing podcast. Ooh, tough tough um, competition. It's not competition. I would be equally delighted if Book of Leaves won and some other Absolutely. amazing podcasts in that category. That is it for this week. We will be back in a couple of weeks with another news roundup. Before we go, just a reminder that if you don't already, you can follow us on Twitter 
at the climate alarm and on facebook and instagram at climate alarm clock if you would like to support the work that we do you can do so by buying us a coffee on buymeacoffee.com forward slash the climate alarm um kira and anna it's lovely to be back with season five with he um and i'll chat to you soon and that's it that's it that's a wrap talk to you soon sing us out there kira happy birthday to you <laughs> happy birthday happy birthday to you can't believe we're five years old Bye-bye, Bernie, Bernie, bye-bye. <laughs>